Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 131 and the first episode of Artifice season 6. Gosh, I can I just take a second? I think I can. Just take a second and just say how excited I am that this is season 6. It's just it's just it's just awesome. I'm really proud of it and it fills me with joy and I hope that you are excited too. I want to also say um, I planned this season a little differently. So, you know, when I first started this podcast, I wasn't sure like I just was learning as I as I was going. Um, and this is the first season that I really planned out like in advance. So I recorded all of the episodes before um, releasing this one. So the whole season is planned out and it's really given me the opportunity to be a little bit more strategic about the overall balance of the season. Whereas kind of what I used to do is I just had a long list of artists that I wanted to interview and I would just kind of send a blast at the beginning of every month and schedule for, you know, the following month. Um, and things would kind of just shake out based on who responded. Um, but this season I've been a little bit more kind of targeted about, uh, balancing the season. And, um, I just, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with how it turned out. Um, you'll have to listen to kind of see all the nuances, but I want to kind of just tell you now that as I was planning the season, I was thinking about a lot of things. Um, I wanted to make sure that I had a diversity, um, among my guests in terms of, you know, gender, race, uh, sexual orientation, you know, different types of backgrounds, people who have, you know, academic training versus, you know, people who are, um, like artisans, you know, by, by trade, um, without, you know, a specific like institutionalized education, all of those things are really important to me. Um, I want to make sure that my, that my guests are, um, that I, that I give my guests the opportunity and my listeners, the opportunity, um, you know, to have kind of, of a wide variety of backgrounds. So I'm, I'm really excited about that and proud of that. And also, um, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, great variety in the mediums themselves. So, you know, again, some mediums that are kind of like classic mediums that we think of as like, you know, culturally like high arts, fine arts, things that are, um, institutionalized in kind of a, a classic way and sort of buoyed by, um, you know, academic rigor or whatever. Um, and also, uh, mediums that are more craft and, um, I value all of those things equally. I want my, my listeners to value those things equally. So, um, so as you're listening, just know that, that, um, I've been thoughtful about that and, and listen for, you know, those differences and, you know, um, I'm always on one about, you know, strengthening our ability to kind of be flexible between different paradigms and different perspectives. And, um, you know, that kind of big picture, like meta creativity of seeing from different perspectives and always kind of challenging our assumptions and our biases. Um, and, and hopefully I, I think this season will provide lots of opportunities to do that and to think about, you know, how we think about art and how we think about artists and to keep a really broad kind of open, uh, open mind and open sense of, you know, what those concepts are. So that's just my little prologue for season six. It's, it's, I would say the perfect balance. Um, and I hope to achieve a similarly perfect balance in all future seasons. So 
Anyway, with that in mind, um, this first episode, gosh, this whole season really just felt magical. I felt like, you know, great chemistry with pretty much everyone I interviewed. Um, and every single interview just felt like a gift to me and, you know, soul opening and mind opening. And, um, and this first episode that I did with Daxon, it just felt like talking to an old friend. I know I say this all the time, but really just, you know, it's just, it's just great. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to Daxon for coming to talk with me and just thrilled that the first episode of the season just, you know, felt so easy. It was just, it was just, again, a gift. Um, now Daxon never pronounced his last name and I didn't, I didn't think about it until right now. So I really don't know if it's Levine or Levine. I'm going to guess it's Levine. Um, but if it's Levine, Daxon, I'm so sorry. And uh, you can tell us in, you know, the comments on the social media posts about this episode. Um, okay, wait, before I read Daxon's bio, I want to also just give a little, you know, like housekeeping. Um, I, I have a, I think I have a blog post in the, in the pipeline on this subject. Um, but you know, I, I have been, I've fielded a lot of criticism in the last couple of years about like how confusing my like personal brand as an artist is. And it's something that I just never know quite how to deal with because I just, from my perspective, I'm just like, I'm just making things and they all feel like they're coming from a similar place. But I want to just say, you know, those of you who've been tuning in, you know that I'm in the middle of releasing my album, The Hallowed Wide. Um, and The Hallowed Wide is a concept record that's all about, you know, kind of what it takes to um, bridge the gaps between souls, between minds, between hearts. Um, and you know, it seems so clear to me that this podcast is like research, you know, along the lines of, of that project. And also I started Artifice when I was writing my album Masks, um, which is part of why I titled this podcast Artifice, because at that point in time, I was obsessed with kind of the ways in which we as individuals, you know, present ourselves in layers. And I think I'll never stop being interested in that topic. Um, and increasingly, you know, as I've kind of moved on to the types of themes that are, that are woven into the hallowed wide. Um, I've also been asking my guests, you know, kind of more questions that are, um, you know, in, in those themes. And also the conversations themselves are sort of a, a creative practice in the hallowed wide, you know, sitting with usually a, a, a stranger, someone I've never met and, you know, trying to form kind of like a deep connection and, and each episode is like a little mini hallowed wide that I, my guest and I are embarking on together. Ooh, little slip embark is the title of my first album. So, you know, just, just see it coming together. I just am always like, you know, kind of thinking about these themes and they're woven into everything I'm doing. So, um, so the podcast, I've just introduced season six to you. Um, and also the hallowed wide is, um, I've got, uh, four more tracks to, to release and the album release show and album release, uh, date is officially set for October 22nd. So if you are in Utah or if you've been meaning to plan a trip to Utah, 
please come and be with me that night. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do something maybe a little different than from how most people do their album release shows. And I'm going to play, we're going to play the hallowed wide in order for you and just kind of cross that hallowed wide together. Uh, I think it's going to be really special and really kind of moving and all of the things that you'd expect from an album release show plus a little bit extra. Um, so stay tuned for that. My very, very favorite song on the record is coming out this month. It's kind of like the, um, I think it's the biggest kind of light bulb on the record and the thing that I kind of, you know, care the most about as an individual. It's, it's my favorite, it's my favorite song. And it's also my favorite kind of concept in this sort of, um, you know, these, these steps that we're taking, um, to kind of get to know another person or to try to really understand another person. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a plot twist maybe even. So, um, get yourself caught up on the hallowed wide, um, track nine is coming your way toward the end of this month, August. Oh my gosh, such a long intro, but like you guys, it's the first episode of season six. So like, I mean, come on. I deserve to talk about it and, and it's good stuff to listen to. And I'm just, I'm excited. And if you're here for the right reasons, you'll be into that too. Okay. Let's get to know Daxon. Dax Levine, or maybe Levine, loves epic fantasy, but he didn't expect to become a full-time professional dungeon master, entertaining clients from all over the world. He started as a lowly theater kid and improv performer who leveled up by earning his Bachelor of Science in Psychology and his Master of Business Administration. That's an MBA, y'all. In early 2020, Dax founded Dungeon Master Direct to professionally host online Dungeons & Dragons campaigns as a side hustle, but four months later, he had to quit his day job to keep up with the accelerated demand for his brand of epic storytelling. He now manages an entire team of professional dungeon masters, teaches his skills online and at conferences, and writes novels on the side. He lives in Utah with an old border collie and his lovely wife. They, uh, Her name's Bethany. They are raising two children whom he hopes will also grow up to be professional nerds someday. And Dax, we are just hoping that right along with you. Um, but probably, you know, if karma is anything, you'll end up with children who are jocks, you know, and it'll take creativity to navigate that. But that's what it's all about. Okay, everybody, I'm really excited. Just I can't say it enough times. This season is just it's so many things. It's just, um, you know, epic and a deep dive into all sorts of topics in, you know, kind of the, the microcosm of each individual episode and in the macrocosm of kind of what it means to consider all of these topics as art, to consider all of these people as artists, to think about, you know, who we are, to kind of see our, our identities as something flexible and permeable and layered and to examine the, you know, beautiful artifice in each and every one of us and in each and every one of our fellow human beings on the planet. So without further ado, welcome to Artifice Season 6, welcome to Artifice Episode 131, and welcome to this conversation with Daxon. Enjoy. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. 
and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Um, well, do you have any questions before we get started? Um, I don't. Well, let's... I just want to be relaxed and just go great. into it and see what happens. Let's get started. Okay. Where are you from? Oh, you had to start with a hard question. <laughs> Why? We're going to was... talk about your childhood next. <laughs> oh, so. no. Um, I was a, a military kid, so okay. we moved around a lot. I was born in South Carolina. We moved to Texas. Um, we lived overseas in Turkey for two years cool. when I was a toddler. Don't remember much yeah. of that. Then we moved to Colorado, and we moved to Utah when I was eleven or twelve. And your you've kind of your parents have kind of stayed yeah, here. Yeah, my parents have stayed here since then. I haven't. Um, when I was eighteen, I moved out to Hawaii to cool. go to BYU Hawaii. Lived in Laie for a few years. My sister a... just got home from her mission from in Laie yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, that seems like it'd be. The best, most she relaxing was kind of mission. Bummed out about it because she was supposed to go to Thailand, <laughs> oh, okay. and she was really excited to go to Thailand. And then with COVID, she they kind of rerouted her to Hawaii. And then was she in Laie the whole time? Was she at the um, visitor center for the it, temple? Is the visitor center not in Laie? It is in Laie. Oh yeah, yeah some... she okay. She was at the visitor center a bunch. Okay. I know she was in Laie the last little bit, but I I honestly like I don't remember. She was in Hawaii. <laughs> So it's a great place. That's where I met my wife. Cool. It's awesome. I served a mission too. I was in Norway for two years. Cool. Cool. So. And then back to Utah. Back to Utah after we graduated and cool. been here for about five years. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your early creative development. I find that like talking with professional adult creatives about their create their like origins of their creativity is so fascinating to me. <laughs> so you don't have to talk about like what mediums you were doing as a kid or you can. Um, but more so I'm kind of just wondering like, um, what you were like in terms of like your creativity mm -hmm. as like okay. a, a little kid. You want the tragic backstory. Yeah. Uh, it's not I gotta, that tragic. I gotta have it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what I really wanted to be when I was a kid is I wanted to be a magician. Fair. Um, fell in love with stage magic. Thought it was so cool. I watched all of those um, specials on TV, the behind the mask or whatever yeah. it was called, where it would teach you how to do these magic tricks. And I thought it was so cool. And I remember it was in second grade, I believe, the school was going to have a talent show. And I auditioned for the talent show cool. with my little cheap magic set that my parents had got me. Yeah. I practiced my skills and, you know, my sleight of hand. And my audition was terrible. It was so bad because I was such a shy, yeah. introverted kid. Isn't that weird? There's, so, there's such a weird crossover between, like, introversion and performance. Yeah. Like, you want to, <laughs> like, you want to be on stage doing magic, but, like, you're an introvert. I get mm -hmm. it. But also... It's weird. Yeah. So so I got up there and I did my tricks in relative silence. I would <laughs> lean over to the microphone to say the occasional magic word yeah. and just go back to the tricks. Oh, and you hadn't figured out your showmanship. No. Uh, so I did not get into this talent show and I was really sad, but... There was another magician that did get into the talent show. Mm. He was one year older than me, and uh, I remember 
at the actual assembly at school. And he's got this top hat and this cape and he's talking to the audience and he's bringing up people from the audience, having them wow. uh, guest numbers and doing all the things that I didn't know you had to do. Right. Um, and that kind of stuck with me. And um, eventually magic didn't work out for me. because Fair. <laughs> yeah, magic didn't work out. Magic works um, out for very few. Very few, yeah. very few. Um, but I mean, I, frankly, the idea of magic working out is just like uh, delightful and a bit hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's it seems like so rare for it to work out for people that it's it's <laughs> for anyone who does. I feel like that's yeah, it's I pretty great. I still think it's cool. Just last week, I was in Las Vegas and I finally saw chris angel are do you recommend it because i'm going to las vegas in a couple so weeks cool it was so cool really? it was like a you know 10 year old me i gotta tell my husband I, I we were i specifically was like should we see chris angel and my husband was like i don't know and i'll tell i'll tell him. it was good yeah. it was good like i'm very good at figuring out how people do stuff but i'm still like trying to wrap my head around some of the things that he did. It was amazing. Absolutely recommend it. I thought it would be, you know, dark and spooky because yeah. he's got kind of this emo he does goth kind of have a thing. Yeah. But like the second half of it, he started dedicating these sets to kids that he's known that have struggled with wow. and perished from pediatric cancer because wow. his um, son just beat pediatric cancer oh my gosh. and so i wasn't expecting to get all emotional like and teary in a chris angel i love that um show it's like but the best sell i could have heard so yeah i, I wasn't expecting to feel feelings yeah. dang it chris <laughs> can i ask you this um, before you kind of tell me like about your your foray farther into performing yeah what was the well first of all do you have siblings and where are you in the birth order so. <laughs> i have one sister, she is two and a half years younger than me, and we could not be more opposite. Okay, cool. She is not an artist. She is not a performer. She was all about sports, athletics, and my, I wasn't. My siblings are like that, too. I'm the <laughs> oldest as well. Um, and then your parents. Like, so is was there... How sports, athletics. Oh God, me too. They are not performers. They are not artists. But they They've did, been supportive. I was going to say, they bought you that magic kit, which is something. Yeah. And then I left it on the floor, and I didn't clean it up, and it got thrown away, and I still tease my mom so for that. Did but. you feel, <laughs> like, did you feel kind of different in your family? Uh Absolutely. Yeah. Always have. Even among the extended family. Yeah. It's like there was such an emphasis in, um, among all my aunts and uncles on, hey, you, all the boys are going to do sports. And instead, it was my sister who yeah. did all the sports. And I was, I was athletic as a kid. I was a fast runner. I was really competitive. But that wasn't where... I found fulfillment. Yeah. So. I literally was just talking about this same thing in therapy like two hours ago. So <laughs> I'm there with you, man. Um, okay. This is like maybe a kind of a difficult question to like answer or even to kind of to ask, but I'd love to know if there's anything you can remember about like just what your mind was like as a child. Like maybe some of the things I could be wondering are like when you perceive this difference or this kind of mm -hmm. otherness, like, how did you interpret that? Um, well, I spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. And again, I moved around a lot. And um, when I was really, really little, didn't have kids my age to hang out with. And so I spent a lot of time in my own head. 
Yeah. Thinking up stories, imagining yeah. things. It's a rich place to be, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we didn't have very many books. And, you know, this was long before, you know, the internet was in everyone's homes. Right. Um, so I would spend hours just looking at the ceiling, just imagining these stories, doing my own retellings of the stories that I had heard. And I fell in love with stories. And I yeah. loved reading. And whatever books I had, I would devour them voraciously. Yeah, yeah. Um, we even had a set of encyclopedias, you know, before Wikipedia days. I'm so with <laughs> you there. My grandma had a set of encyclopedias. And like, I was, I was glued to those things as a little mm-hmm. kid. Like before I could even like really really read like i think i was like looking for pictures and then being like can an adult read this to me you know (laughs) or like or i remember i specifically remember like being excited about the encyclopedia and not knowing how to read like several of the words Mm -hmm. um because an encyclopedia is not like friendly first reader material of course not (laughs) and like you know trying to ask the adults around to like explain things to me (laughs) I I really relate to that so I was similar as a child like spent a lot of time alone felt kind of kind of different kind of a little weird in the family um but I think I also like from really early on kind of felt like I was into the way that my brain was like I felt Mm -hmm. like it was like a little kind of special like it was like a like kind of a fun place to be. Did you, did you feel that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And then I think maybe my only other question about kind of like those early, like early, early years is like, um, maybe you can talk more about books, but in addition to books, um, is there any other like media that you think was influencing like your imaginary world, music, yeah. cartoons, should I tell you about the first time I ever played Dungeons and Dragons? How old, how old were you? <laughs> I was about 10, I Okay, think. then I yes. I was 9 or 10. We're in that chapter um, still. I was 9 or 10, and I was invited to a friend's birthday party. It was cool. a sleepover birthday party. Figured we'd play video games and stay up late, eat pizza. And this kid's uncle had shown up and ran a D&D adventure for us. And I had never heard of it. Um... And I absolutely thought it was amazing because I was the protagonist all of a sudden. And I remember distinctly, I was playing this priest-like character and my weapon broke in the middle of the game. And I thought, oh, the game's over. I can't attack anything. This is kind of dumb. And the dungeon master looks at me and says, well, what can you imagine? What would you do in this situation? Yeah. And so I started wrestling with the monsters instead and trying to throw them across the room. And I thought it was so fun and I got so into it and I loved it and I couldn't wait to play again. And not long after that, we moved. Mm. We moved from Colorado to Utah and I didn't get a chance to play again until I was an adult. Did you um, talk to your parents about that experience? And if so, how did they react? Um, I had mentioned Dungeons and Dragons and they didn't know anything about it. They probably teased and made fun of people who played it back in the eighties. And I mean, in, in my house growing up, that kind of thing was like, this is Satan stuff. Right. You can't, you can't even talk, can't even talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any of that going on or was it kind of just like, we don't really know what that's about. There, there wasn't that. I remember when I first started reading Harry Potter my parents were very supportive of my my reading and they're like, hey, just so you know, we heard there's witchcraft in it. If you, you know, if you can't feel the spirit, then, you know, stop reading it. And then I read all of Harry Potter. Um, yeah. So it wasn't a problem of 
question of whether or not it was satanic or not. It was just they couldn't relate to it because they didn't have Did you that experience. Feel like they did, were they ever like making fun of you? Like I think I'm wondering if like you ever felt kind of like is there something bad about me? Is there something wrong with me? No, okay, they good. they wanted to support me, and they they've always been supportive of me wanting to be a writer and an author. They just. It was a lot of verbal support, but they didn't know how what to, to actually help. Sure. Um, and when did you start writing? Um, around that same time. Yeah. Around and what that were same you time. Uh, derivative fantasy crap. We um, have to. Just the classic hero's journey before I knew what the hero's journey was. Yeah. Playing with the regular trope, self-insert fantasy. Um, and when I left um, Colorado and you know, was separated from my one-time D&D group, uh, writing was what I would do to fill that creative need that I experienced with that. And I would write stories about these characters and draw maps. And I remember sitting in math class and having graph paper. I wasn't graphing. I was drawing little dungeons. Mm -hmm. And it was so much fun. And for years, like I didn't have anyone to play D&D with. I didn't know the rules. I didn't have any of the books. So you were still specifically thinking about D&D like yes. after you left. That's really interesting. <laughs> For years I was thinking about it and, you know, uh, decided I wanted to be an author, had a great uh, bunch of great influences there, Wait, got have, into theater. I have more questions about these things. Yeah. Oh, we got to go slower, Daxon. Um, like, There's I'm so, so much to get to. I'm so interested. I just like, I feel like the way that my, that like my brain works is like, I need to know like some things about the childhood so that I can ask better questions about your adulthood. Okay. I feel like it's like personality development and like identity development. And, and like, you know, I feel like, I feel like when we're talking about the origins of creativity, it's, it matters so much whether those origins are like, wholesome or whether they're Mm -hmm. fraught or whether they're like, you know, I don't know. I just, or whether you're alone doing it, whether they're communal. Um, so, okay. I want to know a little bit more about your writing because that's what you do now. So, I mean, one of the things you do now. So, uh, so when you first started writing, like, okay, what I want to know is like, did you always take it seriously? And what does that mean? Let's start there. (laughs) Um, like, did you, were you like, I think what I want to know is like, when you very first started writing, mm-hmm. were you like, mom and dad, look at this thing I wrote? Like, were you proud of it? Did you feel like, I really want to be good at this? I remember in fifth grade, um, we had an assignment to create our own world as part of an English class. So create your own colony. We were supposed to draw a map and write about the history. And I threw myself into this. You have I, to. Some people were, you know, creating their own personal utopias where they're the king or whatever, or, you know, these perfect worlds. And I made a fantasy map. Oh my God, and I I'd, love it. And I pulled out my copy of The Hobbit and um, looked at that map that Tolkien drew and some of the other books I was reading. And I threw myself into that. And I got so many extra credit points on that assignment because my teacher just loved it so much. And yeah. that's when I decided this map is going to be the foundation of the book I'm going to write. And oh I wrote gosh, that. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> I wrote that on the last page. I'm like, I, Dax and Levine, this, this will be the, you know, someday I will write this book. And I had a title for it that was derivative and cliche and all of that. But I decided right then I wanted to be an author. And I took it very seriously. Wow. And I would uh, go above and beyond just the short stories I was assigned to write in my classes. I'd write short stories for fun. Again, introvert. Um, but then I started 
reading my stories out loud to people. I was always a good reader. I always, uh, that's how I kind of got into theater as well. I was just talking about this Um, with someone else a few days ago. Like I was at, I was on this little kind of like retreat slash um, brainstorm session for this like wedding band um, group that I, that I work with. We were in Kansas city. So all artists, but also like highly organized people. And uh, we were talking about just, we were talking about this kind of thing and, I used to get so excited when like the classroom would do reading, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would just be like, Oh, it's going to be my turn. Like (laughs) I was also such an introvert, but like loved reading out loud. I'd be disappointed if I got like the really short paragraph. Me too. Like I I would be looking ahead and just being like, "Mm, this is not a good one. Like, (laughs) Please can I have another? Um, We'd be studying Shakespeare in English classes and I'd always want the big meaty monologues. Oh my gosh. I I just relate to this so much. Like I remember getting a really similar assignment in the fourth grade. Like I know because it was my favorite teacher, Mrs. Russell, who Mm -hmm. came to my wedding and I still talk to her occasionally, but, um, we had a map assignment and I drew, I drew also a fantasy map and drew creatures in the ocean. (laughs) And I I remember like really liking to draw like the coastline and Mm. being like, Oh, I'll make a little peninsula, you know, but I want to just tell you quickly, just so you know that we're maybe kindred souls. Um, I just finished recording like a fantasy concept album. I'm a musician. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know you were a nerd musician. Too. I'm a nerd this musician. Is wonderful. I know. I feel like I need to just tell you. Why and have I'll, we not been friends? I'll, longer? I'll give you a copy before you leave. Even though <laughs> it's not like it's not out yet, but I have them. Okay. But listen, listen. My album is called "The Hallowed Wide," which like mm-hmm. it's a great title, right? That's an awesome title. <laughs> and it's like a it's a journey, like it's a concept record. So like, but I I drew a fantasy map as like a bonus for, like for the record. So, so cool. <laughs> like so cool. I spent like I spent like probably literally close to a hundred hours on it because I'm not a visual artist. Just the map. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. I anyway, feel that. so I'm here with you. Like I'm when I'm saying like I relate to this, like I do. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, um yeah, I I also really relate to this idea of like being a little kid and feeling like this is my calling. Like this is mm-hmm. the thing I've got to do. And taking it super seriously right from the beginning and thinking like how am I going to get better at this? Like, what can I try? How can I challenge myself? Like if there's an assignment in class where like you're, because you know how it is, like you're supposed to do like some kind of a little book report and then it's like pick one of these like 10 things to do as like your little project. But like mm-hmm. maybe one of them I'll, is do a skit, but, but maybe <laughs> I'll do eight of them. Okay. Cause it's just like, well, I can't choose. I'll make a <laughs> diorama and a mural and do a skit and write a poem, you know, um, just feeling like just so creatively, like, I can't decide. I want to do all the things. (laughs) Um, so my next question maybe is like, um, so when did you start doing theater? How old were you? Um, when did it exactly did it start? Because it started in English classes and history classes as we were studying Shakespeare and Greek tragedies and stuff in probably sixth grade. And we were supposed to give presentations and of course I chose the skit option. And I remember we, my friend and I, we wrote this skit about the legend of Perseus slaying Medusa and we set it to queen music. Cool. Cool. Um, Cool. And we performed it in front of the class and it was awesome. And then they kept asking us to do other things. And that friend and I, we rehearsed the Abbott and Costello who's on first uh, skit. And we started performing that for the school. Wow. Um, We practiced the, um, 
Mark Antony and Brutus monologues from Julius Caesar cool. as a sixth grader. Wow. I was Mark Antony. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. It was so much fun. I just had this teacher, Miss J, and she just... I was just about to ask about teachers. Yeah, she just believed in me and just gave me more projects because she knew I wasn't being challenged by the regular busy work that everyone else was doing. That's and so. so wonderful because like, you know, not all children are like this, but there there is a percentage of children who are bound to be kind of hungry for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... I think like if those children don't have a teacher or a parent or maybe a friend's parent or someone (laughs) like you can really easily just start to be like, am I a weirdo? Like, is there something wrong with me? Like there's such a fine line between, between being like alternative and kind of like an, an embodied way and just being like lost. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you, you know, if you're doing skits for the school, it sounds like you, you had a place. Yeah. You didn't feel like an outcast for the first time in my life. Yeah, yeah, in like sixth grade. Yeah, um, teachers were asking me to perform. I no longer had to audition. Yeah, that's wonderful. Take that, second grade. That Dax. kind of stuff matters so much, and you know, I I knew that just based on my own experience. But you know, I I have been doing this podcast now for three years, and uh, I've talked to so many so many artists who who tell me stories of you know, there are going dormant for two decades because they mm-hmm. didn't have that. Like it's, it's why I like, I like to talk about the childhood, the teen years and then adulthood, because I just think it's so easy to fall off. Like, you know, for your creativity to, to kind of turn into something that you, you hold close and kind yeah. of secret. So it's a triumph to hear like, I don't know, stories of adults nurturing that. Do you have thoughts about that? Um, Thoughts about which part specifically? Um, there were a lot like, of great things. Uh, no, yeah, I think well, whatever you're, whatever you're <laughs> latching onto, but also maybe specifically, like, okay, here's what I want to say. Here's what's okay. like been maybe on my mind lately. Um, you know, I think adults can get freaked out by kids that are like t- taking a different path. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of adults can can get worried, like even even well-meaning adults can get worried like is this child going to be okay is this child going on a path that isn't going to be successful it can be difficult i think for you know even well-intentioned if kind of narrow-minded adults (laughs) to um get very worried about a child who's choosing a different path do you have thoughts about like how adults who don't get it can help kids who they care about navigate those kinds of things do you have kids I have a two-year-old, and I have another one on the way. Congratulations. My wife is seven months pregnant. That's pregnant. That's That's pretty pregnant. So pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's okay if you don't have thoughts about it. Like, I teach, so I think about kids a lot, and also I think I was one of those children who had really all of the adults in my life just being like, you better be a little different. (laughs) Um, and you better, you know, keep this stuff to yourself. Um, so I think a lot about, um, you know, what kind of responsibility adults have to shepherd and guide divergent children. Yeah. Um, I work a lot with adults these days. I don't run very many games for kids and 
adults are kids that just haven't grown up. And I see people on similar journeys and Mm -hmm. people come to me to play games because there is this creative need that they have that is going unfulfilled and unexpressed. And it's hard to find a consistent group of people that you can play with and create with. And so I'm, I guess I'm shepherding adults on that journey okay. just as I would with kids. I want to hear but... about that, but let's talk about it. Like, we'll get that. yeah, we'll don't, get don't that. let me forget. I want to, <laughs> I, I really would like to hear about that. Cause I, okay. I think you're really right. Um, okay. So then let's talk about the teen years. teen years. I find that a lot of times these are the years where young creatives kind of start to like hone their, their, their mm-hmm. craft a little bit more. Um, but yeah, tell me whatever you think is uh, pertinent to development of skills development of identity in your teens okay um first off this these were years devoid of dungeons and dragons right i didn't get to play it again until i was in college um and so i found other hobbies other ways to express myself creatively i i mentioned the writing i started dabbling in acting um that led to musical theater um were you ever like serious about music like did you ever kind of feel like music might be like the thing Um, so I got into acting and I knew that the middle school and the high school that I went to, the biggest plays they put on each year were musicals. So in order to get the best roles in the musicals, you needed to be able to sing. You needed to join the choir. That's why I took dance because I, (laughs) uh, music is like my main thing and acting is like, I feel like if you're a singer, acting is like, you really can't be a very good singer in any genre if you can't act. A little mm-hmm. bit, I think. But I remember thinking like, well, I better be able to dance <laughs> so that I can be in yeah. those. So I, and I, I totally got into dance too that, for that a time because of that. But you, um, but it was more about the acting. It was more about the acting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first few auditions in middle school were absolutely terrible. And, you know, I was in the ensemble. No big deal. Um, but when high school came and it was time to audition for choir, um, I still wasn't a great singer. Um, and I made it in because I was a baritone. Oh boy. Yeah. Yep. I was a baritone and they the needed more baritones yeah. in the choir. Um, <laughs> uh, but my, uh, my teacher actually pulled me aside after I got this news and I was so excited to get into this, the school's top choir as a sophomore. He told me straight up, you are the weakest voice we have on this choir. Mm. I expect you to put in a lot more work to get to the same level that's, where everyone else bold is. bold of a teacher. Oh, this guy was very, very bold, very direct. Not everyone liked him. Yeah, how um, did that hit you? Because I can see that going either way. Yeah. It, oh, it hurt, but he was right. And I saw that he was right. And he expected me to put in the time, but he was also willing to invest his time in helping me. And so even yeah. if it was staying 15 minutes after class to um, practice a, a few scales yeah. or get the techniques that I didn't get growing up because I wasn't born into a musical family. I right. didn't have a lot of those opportunities as a kid. You can't fault yourself for that. Um, I improved a yeah. lot year after year after year. I was I was one of the leads my senior year. Cool. I was leading the bass section because all the basses graduated. So I was going to say that I got promoted. That's a really beautiful <laughs> example of like a teacher actively teaching growth mindset. Yeah. Like, yeah, because like I said, I feel like that could go either way. But if a teacher like 
my um, colleague and my boss, I teach at UVU, um, he always says, you know, if you have a teacher who's willing to look you in the eye and say, like, this is not, this work is not acceptable, Mm -hmm. um, let's fix it. Like, that's harsh, but also, like, that teacher cares about Mm you. Like, for for a teacher to, um, you know, have the emotional vulnerability themselves to say, like, we're going to need you to improve. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like that could be really empowering, especially if then, you know, they show you how mm-hmm. and show you that, Oh, like, look, this practice does work. Up until that point, so many things had come easy to me. Reading came easy to me. Writing came easy to me. Math came easy to me. Science came easy to me. Music did not mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I, my junior year, I took a music theory class. There were only six people who signed up for that class. Um, one of them was a jazz guitarist. One of them could play like almost every instrument in band and was from a family of prodigies. Mm -hmm. And we had all these pianists. I was the only one in that class who couldn't actually play a musical instrument. I just could read music based on my time in choir. And I struggled understanding music theory. And it was the hardest I had to work in high school just to keep up with all of these brilliant minds around me. And I did it. I put in the work. I got A's every semester in that class and it was hard. I decided, okay, I don't want to be a composer. I don't want to do all of these other things, but you know, it was a challenge and I love that growth mindset mentality. Yeah. And, um, me. Growing as a singer and a performer, as an, an actor in those years, that was like essential in yeah. defining, you know, the type of stories like I get a, to tell. As me. a learner, yeah. um, let me hit you with this topic. And again, like I might throw some things out. And if you're like, I don't, I have thoughts about that. That's fine. But if you do, I'd like <laughs> okay. to talk about it. So I, I, I relate to this as well. I feel like many, many times in my life, I have found myself in a room with people who are much better at the thing than mm-hmm. I am. I also am easily good at plenty of things. So, you know, I'm grateful for that. But, but I think I, I think I like almost, I don't know. It's not that I like it, but it just happens. Like I just, mm-hmm. I think I'm just hungry enough for like knowledge that I, that I frequently find myself like, um, yeah, being the, being the weak link or being like the kind of like, Oh, you guys already know this stuff. Um, <laughs> do you have thoughts about like, I don't know. Do you have like advice for people if they like haven't done that before? Do you have insight into like how to, you know, gracefully manage being the, the weakest link in the room? Um, or like why it's valuable? I feel like some people I knew who were the smartest people in the room were really arrogant about it and people didn't like being around them. Mm. You don't have that luxury when you're the weak link mm-hmm, in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn to be humble, to be nice, to be kind, to be a fun person to be around. Because when people like having you around and when you make them feel good, <clears throat> they're willing to help. And yeah. they're willing to forgive your mistakes because they see you showing up and trying again and again. Um so that's that's my advice. Yeah, be I nice like, to people. Be humble. That's great advice. I think like one thought that I have about it is like, you know, the people who never put themselves in a room where they're the worst one, I think it's easy to to think if you're only doing things that you're kind of naturally good at, 
that um, you are just kind of better. You kind mm. of alluded to that, right? Um, yeah, we all know those people. And I, I think I think sometimes that that kind of person will really discount um, the fact that like someone else could learn to do the mm-hmm. thing that they're doing. Um, I think the only reason that I that I think this is maybe noteworthy is like learning the lesson that you can go from being like bad at something to good at something is so crucial mm-hmm. for creatives. Um, especially in a modern world where like, there's so much, um, like competition, you know, there's just so many people, there's so much visibility for people that I think like, you know, differentiating, expanding the comfort zone. And I guess maybe the other thing I would say is, um, if you're, a, if you're finding another thing I kind of have learned is like, if you're finding yourself that person in that room, it can be easy to think, uh, because other people won't advertise that they're naturally good at it. You might kind of think like you're, um, you're meeting the same level of challenge as the other people and you're just failing. And I would just, I would encourage people to remember that, uh, sometimes it's a different level of challenge for you. And that's, mm-hmm. that's brave and cool. That's it. That's my spiel. <laughs> that was a good spiel. Okay. Good spiel. Um, moving on. So um, I'd like to know, like, with both acting and writing and anything else you want to talk about, um, how were you thinking about, like, how were you actively, if, if anything, um, thinking about, like, really improving, like, your skills? Okay. I got a story for you. I'm ready. Um, this was ninth grade. And um, at this time, I didn't get the part I wanted in the play. I didn't get onto the basketball team. There were girl problems going on. I'm 14 years old, right? <laughs> Drama's happening. Yeah. Everything's angsty. And um, my parents were like, hey, when are you going to write that book? When are you going to, wow. to do all this? And, uh, and I love that they were asking you that. Th- they were 14. asking about it because, you know, they were hoping I'd be some prodigy that writes a book oh, and cool. makes them a bunch of money because, you know, Christopher Paolini did that with the Aragon series and they're like, you could be the next him. And I was realizing at that time with all the other angst going on in my young teenage life oh. that what I was writing wasn't particularly original. It wasn't particularly exciting or new. And I was ready to give up. I figured what I, the ideas I have have already been done. They've already been done better. I need to focus on something else. And at that same time I was going through these feelings, there was a book fair at my local high school. And as part of this book fair, they invited a local author to come Mm. and sign books. This was a local author. Nobody had ever heard of him. Um, he had just published his second novel. Cool. And um, he was at this book fair. I had gone to the book fair. I was looking at the fantasy books kind of half-heartedly. My mom was encouraging me to find something that I really liked, but, you know, angst, right? 14 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and no one was at this author's table. Um, so he, no one was lined up to get signatures from him. So he was walking around the book fair, talking to people, pitching his stories. <clears throat> And so he comes up to me and he starts telling me about this book that he wrote. And I didn't know who he was. Um, I was a little dismissive, told him I had a big pile of books to read anyways. And, you know, thanked him for his time. 
And my mom was in like the next row over and she heard this conversation. And so behind my back, she bought his books. Cool. She bought his books and he signed them without me there. And he said, Dax, put this book on top of the pile. He remembered what I had said and made a reference to it as he signed it. Um, And, you know, that was sweet. That was nice. Uh, I figured, okay, I'll read this book. And that book completely changed how I viewed fantasy and kind of the boundaries that you could push in the fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to guess who that author was? I, I don't. That was Brandon Sanderson. Okay, I was gonna guess Brandon Sanderson, but then I was like, it's a bold guess. That was Brandon Sanderson, who last week ran the number one Kickstarter of all time, and as of right now, has raised over $25 million. He's a New York Times bestseller. You go to his signings, and people will stay there until three in the morning. Mm. Um, That Brandon Sanderson. Wow. I did. Um, I heard about that. It was probably because you posted about it, but... Did you? I did post about it. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I feel yeah. like I heard about it in several places. But I'm yeah, in I did a lot post of, about it. I'm in a lot of writers groups. So I've been a Brandon Sanderson fan since I was fourteen. Since you were a tiny baby, um, and, and he, I didn't know he was going to be the biggest name in fantasy. Actually, if I can just say quickly, because this is one of my like pet topics for the listener alert. I I love the idea of talent, um, like talent can be a dark horse. I feel like our culture is really bad at knowing that we so easily dismiss people who haven't made it yet. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I love these stories of like this testament to like, look for talent in places where it hasn't yet been vetted because it is everywhere. And like how kind of sad and embarrassing for the people who were there that day who didn't buy a book from him. <laughs> like they, they probably don't even remember that that no. happened and they just, I mean, it's probably not even a flicker of a memory, but you know, how many Brandon Sanderson's like might you have run into in your life and mm. ignored that thought is devastating to me. And so, you know, I <laughs> so try to be nice to everyone. <laughs> I try to have that kind of a mindset. Like if someone tells me they're an artist, I try to just assume that they're brilliant. You know, like I'm ready for them to be brilliant. I'm ready for like anyone who tells me they're an artist to be brilliant. And I would like to see more of that in our world. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool, though. Yeah. So so can you tell me more about like how um, it changed your thoughts about how fantasy like talk to me about that? He pitched his book Mistborn to me as kind of a mix between Lord of the Rings with the epic fantasy ideals in it with Ocean's Eleven, which was a big popular movie at the time that I really enjoyed. And it was my first time. Yeah, great soundtrack. Really good soundtrack. It was my first time reading a fantasy heist. And it was so cool. And it broke a lot of common tropes that I had seen in fantasy before. And that's when I realized, okay, I can experiment. I can do different things. And then I found out he has a, he had a podcast called Writing Excuses. When was this? This, let's see. How old are you? I am 30. Okay. So this would have been like 16 years ago. This would have been 2006. Yep. Yeah. That was fast math. <laughs> You're good. You're good at math. <laughs> well, I only know, I just, it was, Music I did math. reverse math because I'm 34 and then I was like, I would have been 18. That's the year I graduated yeah. from high school. So it was, um. I cheated a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was going to say podcasts, but yeah, it yeah. checks out. So podcasts were brand new back then. But I look, I look older than I am. 
Uh, no, it's not even that. It's just like time is weird. I feel time like is a weird I feel scene. like things have changed so much. Um like in media since we were kids, since I was a kid, like, you know, I talk with my college students now because I, I teach at UVU. I said that already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their whole world is like Spotify, TikTok, and they'll ask me for advice sometimes. And I just tell them like, listen, tick- Spotify didn't exist when I finished my master's degree. <laughs> That's how new these things are. Like, you know, MP3s were kind of like new when I was like a, a junior in high school youtube was brand new when i was a freshman in college so i feel like just we like i think we both are in like an age range where like media has just become a completely different thing in yeah. our mem- in our memorable lifetime media was going through this awkward teenage phase when we were teenagers it was evolving into something new didn't quite know what it, it changes is yet. all the time i try to tell my students too, like don't get comfortable because you do you do not know. Like, <laughs> you, there are likely to be things and evolutions here that you can't even begin to imagine. So, do you remember downloading things on iTunes and making your own iTunes playlist? Of course, and I do. Burning it onto a CD and, like, and giving it to your music friends and just yes. being like, "What other music can I get?" Spending hours just organizing everything into folders. And, yeah. yeah, I remember like when I went to college. Um, our school, I went to a really good music school. I kind of seeked out a a good school and they had one of the best music libraries like in the country. And I remember like checking out CDs and just like ripping every CD onto my computer. Cause I was like, this, (laughs) this stuff is hard to find. Like you, Mm -hmm. you can't buy it in stores. Like, and it's just seems like so silly now. Cause like literally everything is just available for free. Mm -hmm. It's very weird. As long as you've subscribed. Yeah, I mean, but also YouTube. Yeah, like, also there YouTube. are plenty of things that are free, but but yeah. Um, where were we? Oh, podcasts. Podcasts yeah. were a thing, and it was if it wasn't two thousand six, it was you right know, around within there. Yeah. Two years of that um, when I found writing excuses, and I started listening to that constantly, and that's kind of where I trained myself to think like an author. Um, like what? Tell me what you mean. Give, give me the nitty gritty. Like, are you thinking about words and grammar and sentence structure? Oh, are no, you thinking no, no, about no. character development? Are you thinking character, about world building? World building, story, um, tension, secrets, um, all of these things. And they would bring in guests to the podcast. Um, and we'd get a perspective from a different science fiction and fantasy author. And they would make recommendations. Um, and that's how I discovered. Right. That's why I fell in love with reading Patrick Rothfuss's work and Scott Lynch and... Um, I started reading George R. R. Martin before Game of Thrones was cool. Yeah. And, you know, I was exposed to all of these different fantasy authors and different fantasy ideas that I wasn't, you know, getting in the small little Utah town sure. that I was from. How did you feel about, like, that level of investment and curiosity? Like, d- did when did you self-reflect on that in kind of like a... I'm really taking the bull by the horns here. I'm like building this circle or like where you just thrived on it. kind of having fun. I thrived on it. Like yeah. that is where I would get into that state of flow where yeah. time would just disappear and I would um, just immerse myself in learning and writing and improving my craft. And, you know, then I was in a lot of plays in high school. And so time was a little bit uh, more at a premium. And so mm-hmm. I had to balance that time. But did you ever think about um, acting professionally? I did. I did. Um, I loved doing theater. I didn't think it would be 
a lucrative career option. Um, when I was shopping around for different universities, um, I was really serious about Southern Utah University's program because I knew they had a good theater program and actually got offered a four-year scholarship for that school. Cool. Um, but I um, got accepted to BYU-Hawaii, decided I did not want to pass up on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I still like flew out to Hawaii before that semester started, made an appointment with that theater director, and say, hey, I want to be part of your program. Can I audition for a scholarship? And hey, that got me a $500 scholarship. So Great. I even started college with the idea that I might go into acting, um, but... I, being a writer was still the number one the thing I thing. wanted to do. Can I ask you this? And again, if you don't have thoughts on it, that's fine. We'll edit but, it in post. <laughs> no, no, I will not. Oh, no. I will not edit in post. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I I think a lot about like, you know, this again, we, we lose a lot of little kids like going mm -hmm. into their teens because they feel too different, too weird. And by, by we, I mean creatives, artists. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we also lose a lot of creatives and artists like in this transition from high school to college. And I think um, there are a lot of reasons why it happens. One is this kind of like, can you make a living question? Mm -hmm. And I find that in particular, um, like, in uh, you know, most of all, most of my podcast guests uh, happen to be from Utah or grew up here. I like to do these in person. And so it's just like what it is. Yeah. Um, Plus, like, we have so many cool artists here. Um, anyway, I find that a lot of my male LDS guests um, had, like, particularly a lot of baggage around the idea that you'll need to support a family. Yeah. It's not even just like, hey, can I support myself? It's like, can I support a woman and potentially many children? Um and I, I guess I'd like to know if you have any, um, like, advice for young men who want to be artists um, and who also maybe feel kind of like a, 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 a like a burden to support like a hypothetical future yeah. family. Advice. Ooh. Um, I feel like it's important and it's like pertinent to like our yeah. state. I will say I wanted a family. I didn't feel pressured to have my own family, yeah. to have my own kids someday. Sure. That is something that I knew that I wanted, um, but I didn't. I did not like the idea of a trophy wife, sure. right? Good. Which is very popular around here. Yeah. You know, you find a, a husband with a good job and then the wife is just yeah. beautiful and raises the children. And, you know, I wanted someone um, who, you know, also had ambitions. Who wasn't equal. Yeah. Radical thought. And my, yeah. I'll, I'll, my wife, she's awesome. And um, she makes more money than I do. Um, I mean, great. But like, that's the advice that I would give to young men, yeah. but like, I'm also a woman and I'm also no longer LDS. Mm -hmm. So, but, um, you know, the advice that I would give is like, you're creative, be creative. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I think, I think this idea of like, do I want a family and do I want to provide for a family? Like those don't need to be tangled up the way they are. That's mm -hmm. my opinion. Like you want a family you should assume that like the person who's going to be your like best match, your best friend, your, your, you know, partner in crime throughout your life is going to want you no other way than being creative. Yeah. And when and you'll figure it out, uh, when Bethany and I were dating, um, you know, I told her my, 
my ambitions and my plans. And she was on board and she bought into those. And she, you know, she focused a lot on her career uh, while I focused on these creative pursuits. Um, Eventually got to the point where I needed to find a job, but we worked it out together as a team. And we're still continuing to do that. That's how it should be. And I'm hoping, you know, in the next year or two, she can, you know, not have to work, but, you know, work if she wants to. Yeah, yeah. But we'll yeah, because raising kids is a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it. And so does, so does yeah. my wife. And I don't want a career to be more important than to my kids. That. Yeah, just because I love my kids so much. Yeah. And um, but I want him to be like, my dad has a cool job that he really likes. That he likes. It's my so dad important. did not like his jobs. <laughs> you know, I just think like in so many ways, I just feel like you can't be. Like forcing yourself into a box you're just not supposed to be in is never going to make you a better spouse and it's never going to make you a better parent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you find yourself a bit uh, outside of, you know, the uh, role models that you have in your life, like if you feel like you need to chart a path that you haven't watched someone else chart, uh, it might be a little tricky, but like, I think you owe it to yourself and your family and your future kids or whatever to like be whole, mm-hmm. um, which might mean if you're a creative, like being a little creative, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think it's important. I, it, I feel like it's a tragedy when people who are so called to be creative, leave creativity and leave art because of some assumption about the mold they're supposed yeah. to fit in. And I left for a little bit. Yeah. But I came back. You came back came and now back. you're a professional dungeon master. Which, yeah, that's a what? real job. <laughs> what? I know I told my, hus- my husband last night, I was like, I have a podcast interview tomorrow. And he's like, oh, who are you interviewing? And I was like, he's a professional dungeon master. And my husband was like, sorry, come again? He was like, tell me more. And I was like, I don't know more, but I'll know more tomorrow. Um, so so tell me what happened next. Okay, what happened next? So after, after high school, um, so I went to college. 3,000 miles away from home, right? And um, I was in choir and because, you know, I was still thinking maybe I'll, you know, get into musical theater or whatever. I still love that uh, performance aspect. And from across the rehearsal hall, I saw one of my fellow baritones pull out a 20-sided die. And he was talking to other people about Dungeons and Dragons. And I had not seen a 20-sided die in years. Wow. But I had been thinking about D&D. I had been writing stories and drawing maps and experimenting as an author and developing my performance skills. And I wanted to play D&D so badly. So I found him after choir practice and, um, you know asked if he had any more dice to see if he had a spot on his table. And he's like, yeah, come in. We'll get a character for you. And I mean, I, I loved it when I played as a 10 year old, Yeah. but coming back, you know, nine, eight or nine years later as someone who was really experienced as a performer and, Oh, I did improv for years too. That's oh, cool. was super helpful. Yeah. Um, I'd done improv. I had written a bunch of short stories. I, um, was thinking about uh, declaring my major as psychology. So I was really getting into yeah, thinking about people, thinking about people conflict. and conflict. Yes. Which I ended up majoring in psychology. Um, but I loved it. And I 
completely immersed myself wow. in this game. And it was so much fun. In fact, it was probably really annoying because I just wanted to be the center of the spotlight the entire time we were playing. But I found ways to reach out to the less outgoing um, players at the party and put them in the spotlight as wow. well and be kind of this supporting like a character. guide. And that character that I played was a stage magician. Cool. So in Full a circle. Yes. So in a world of actual sorcerers and wizards and people casting spells and incantations, I was the person faking it. Um, I was a rogue. I was a pickpocket, a swindler, a thief. Wow. And I would pretend to have magic powers when in actuality I had none. And I would do these daring escapes and these long cons. And I would get the other party members to to help and it was so much fun i was finally taking all of my skills and using them in one awesome creative endeavor okay questions first of all can you just like talk a little bit about how DD works how DD works all right dear listener you are in for a treat i also don't really know (laughs) i i feel like there's a piece of my soul that should have been a 10 year old that was at a birthday party uh, <laughs> and I just, I just missed it. So, just missed it. but uh, um, yeah, please tell me how it works. Dungeons and Dragons is a collaborative storytelling game. One person is the narrator, the guide. They create a world and they create all of these monsters and conflicts and they are guiding the rest of the players through the story. So think of the other players as they're the protagonists. They're the stars of the show. Okay. And the dungeon master, they get to play all the background characters and the villains, the non-player characters, the monsters. So all the players are on like a team together? Yeah. It's okay. a collaborative game. So you're banded together. Kind of think, against the master? Uh, it's Some people play it in an antagonistic okay. way, but it's it's not like that. It's you more don't, like the master is like a shepherd. Or shepherd kind of. or a guide, yeah. the narrator. Um, okay. So think of the party as the fellowship, right? Okay. Of okay. The, the party the is working together f- f- to do what? It depends. Okay. They could be cool. doing lots of cool things. Missions. Missions. Quests. Going on quests. Adventures. You know, throwing jewelry into you know volcanic fixtures. Um, things sure. like that. <laughs> whatever. Fixtures. Whatever the dungeon master decides, and you d- you don't win. You tell <clears throat> stories together. And you laugh and you get into it and there's a sense of camaraderie. And now some people, and there are lots of different theories and philosophies on how you should play, what the right way to play is. And if if you're having fun, you're winning, right? If you're having fun, great. Then that means you're going to come back. You're going to play next week. Some people love getting into the tactics and the mechanics and they see it as this puzzle that they are solving and they have to win and have the best stats. And, you know, people who really like those types of video games or those Mm -hmm. types of war games or board games or things like chess, some people get into that aspect of it. And a lot of people, myself included, I love the expressive performance aspects of it. I love getting into the character. I love doing the voices. I love telling, uh, I love doing improv with the other people in the party. I really liked what you said before, like, you know, finding a way to like employ all of your skill sets at once. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a bizarre gift, like to, to find a thing that like is all of those things. That's really cool. 
That's awesome. That's like a victory. <laughs> so it's like everything that I had been practicing and all the skills right. I had been developing, I got to do them all. It's, it's amazing. It. I love it. Um, when you were choosing psychology as a major, did you know then the way that that was going to interact? Or is that something you kind of like reflected on later? So I loved studying people and behavior and culture. And I was at BYU-Hawaii, which is the most internationally diverse university campus in the entire United States. Cool. So many students from the Pacific and Southeast Asia and all over the world. And so I loved learning about other people. And when I served my mission in Norway, not only did I teach a lot of Norwegians, but they were refugees from all over the world. Yeah. So I love meeting people from other uh, places and different backgrounds. And so I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to study this. This, this sounds fun. So I, uh, my major was psychology and I focused on like cultural psychology classes. Wow. And like there was, it, was there like an anthropology component? There, there was an anthropology uh, program um, at my school, but I was more interested in the scientific okay. approach to things. Cool. Tell me um, more. Sorry I interrupted yeah. you. No. Well, it's good you mentioned that because adjacent to the anthropology program, there was also an intercultural peace building program. Okay. Um, you're po you posted something, I think, yesterday about like your background is like a, what did you say? Like a, a peace, did you say peace builder? I, I don't know if building. I used that word. I think you said yesterday. peace building. I may I may I use that word. And a like lot. maybe something about psychology. And I just yeah. thought like I was gonna comment and be like, oh my gosh, tell me everything. And then I was like, I'm talking to him tomorrow. <laughs> He's gonna tell me. Yeah, everything. I'm talking to him tomorrow. Um, so that was like specifically like a thing that I just I don't know. I'm really, really interested. Like, so the listener will know another one of my pet my pet topics is like I love, 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 love the porous nature of like art and, and society. Yeah. I love when like as creatives, we take our kind of bizarre skills and apply them, you know, in parenting, in marriage, in, you know, our jobs with our neighbors, in politics, maybe, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. And just hearing you kind of use those words, it just made me think like, He's thinking about this stuff too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I just I just want to know everything about it. So there's the peace. What did what yeah. is it? Intercultural peace building. God. And I ended up getting Amazing. an intercultural peace building certificate, which is a fancy way of saying that was my minor, right? I took what does it five mean? classes. What does it mean? Um, so my professor <clears throat> in that department, he he's a mediator, a professional mediator, travels oh. all over the world talking to people about conflict and trying to help them see each other's side and find peaceful solutions. He's done work in Northern Ireland and downtown wow. Chicago in the Middle East with wow. um, Israelis and Palestinians. Wow. Um, and I so I got to... so much. That's like going to make me cry. <laughs> that's so beautiful. I have some books to recommend Please for do. You. Yeah. Um, and... and it's so creative. Don't you think like... I mean, I don't know anything about professional mediation, but I come from a like a, a volatile family and I feel like I do a, a hell of a lot of conflict resolution <laughs> as a person. Yeah, I had to write a lot of papers about how I was using things in my own life. And yeah. at first I was, was like, Oh, I'm going to justify, today. you know, why I was right all along and all the things my parents did wrong to hurt me. And I'm taking these peace building classes and I'm looking internally and I'm realizing my own mistakes, my own mm -hmm. failures. I remember calling my parents after one of these classes and just 
in tears apologizing to them for my own issues. And we worked through a lot of stuff. I didn't expect those classes to be so emotional, but they were always. Um, So that's, that's what I studied. And my initial motivation for that is I still wanted to be a writer. Yeah. Still do. But like, what's the difference between writing and like, do you agree? Like, I feel like that is like, there's writing words on paper Mm -hmm. and then like writing, like, being creative in in a moment in a moment is kind of writing yeah. too but like do they feel the same to you well a lot of people who want to be writers major in english yeah and they study grammar and syntax and they learn to analyze the classics i wasn't interested in that i yeah. was interested in people yeah um and yeah. that's where i diverted from the right. prescribed path for being a writer. And I absolutely loved it. I figured I want to study conflict, not so that I can mediate or resolve conflicts so that I could write about conflicts and come up with these satisfying conclusions. And it it just so happened to actually like change my life and how I approach interpersonal relationships. Uh, Can can you talk to me more about that? Like I'm Um, so interested in that. I I mean, I don't have the same background as you obviously with like formal training and conflict and conflict resolution but i think about this kind of thing every day you need to take the class that i'm teaching i would love to tuesdays starting next week well i work late on Um, tuesdays but maybe i can is there yeah (laughs) starts at seven do you do like iterations of the class um i will uh this class will probably rotate back in about three months or so because my my tuesday is my uvu day so in the summer i have tuesdays free okay because what um so this is how it all comes together uh, with D and D, um, I'm teaching a class on um, conflict-driven characters. Right, um, how to make your characters feel more alive and raw and nuanced. Nuanced, yeah, not just figuring out where they fit on the scale between yeah. good and evil, yeah. but what actually motivates them. And one of those classes, the second one in the series, is called Justifiably Evil Antagonists. Mm. And I talk about how oh, to play a villain, it. how I to play a it. villain in your stories. Yeah. And I'm so good at playing villains, partially because my voice sounds like this um and I'm scary looking. Um but I love, I love a good villain. And so I teach this class and instead of studying, you know, tyrants and dictators of the past or reading the works of Machiavelli, right? Yeah. We look at ourselves and our own biases and the way we treat other people, not how we've been mistreated, but how we view people as objects. And these are all things that I learned from the peace building program that I'm now applying into creating these interesting characters. I did a preview of this class a few weeks ago and some of the feedback I got was, I wasn't expecting that to get so emotional and Mm. it's life changing. And I'm like, I just want you to be better bad guys. But (laughs) now they're, you know, inadvertently turning people into good guys in real life. Um, I just, I mean, there's nothing that I love more than this. Like to me, like the, the, the thing we're talking about is perspective shifting. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's, there's nothing I like better. My, my second album is called masks. Um, I wrote it before the pandemic and then (laughs) it came out on May 8th of 2020 and I had been working on it for five years. Listen, I'll raise you, I'll raise you on, uh, (laughs) one of the songs on the album uses like, it's called host and it's all about viruses. And it's like a, a metaphor for like, uh, 
someone who's like like a wolf in sheep's clothing basically oh man you were ahead of your time it was prescient but um but you know the whole kind of uh conceit of the record is like it depends on whose eyes you're looking through mm-hmm. like i actually have a song called a villain on that yeah, record i just cool. feel like i want to take your class and i feel like you might really dig my music <laughs> but uh we're friends now it's cool we're friends now <laughs> and can i learn how to play D with you sometime yeah can i join something uh, i've always wanted to yeah. learn how to play in fact that's why i met you because i was asking johnny worthen i was like johnny oh johnny because i interviewed johnny like years ago yeah he was like my episode 12 i think i took a mystery class from him really like four or five but years like ago. he was posting about it and i was like johnny i'm like embarrassed to ask this question but like how does a 34 year old woman like play D for the first time and then he tagged you and that's yeah. why you're here that's so why you're here. anyway i would i would I would like to awkwardly learn how to do that and to join. I, <laughs> I have feel taught it, hundreds and hundreds of people. I feel how to play. it's in my soul. I feel like it needs to happen. And yeah, it's, I feel like it's a missing piece that, that uh, needs to not be missing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, this art of perspective shifting and going like, from which angles is this person right? Mm-hmm. And from which angles is this person wrong? And from which angles, you know, yeah. could we consider any one thing? And I, I feel like that's the, that's the stuff of life. Um, there's nothing more important than learning how to um, see from other people's perspectives, to be empathic. Mm-hmm. And I find that endeavor to be like highly creative. We are all the heroes of our own stories, but that also means we are the antagonists in somebody else's story. My song, Villain, the main line of the chorus is, you made me the villain in your story. So mm-hmm. we're, in this, we're in the same, we're <laughs> oh, on the same wavelength. You're going to love this class. It's cool. Um, so so you're, you're playing D&D a ton in college. Mm-hmm. You're taking these classes. Um, you're already kind of thinking like these are things are related. Um, were you writing your novel? Um, kind did, you, of, did you shift gears? I had a bunch of notes and I was doing a lot of world building. I also spent a, a summer at uh, the Jerusalem Center, the BYU Jerusalem yeah. Center, and was just filled with all of this historical background and knowledge and outlining and doing a lot of work on the world for a novel I wanted to write. Cool. Um, but I wasn't actively writing short stories because I was so busy, um, so busy uh, with school and with family stuff. When did you um, get married? I got married my senior year of Bethany, college. right? Yes, Bethany. Got it. Uh, go ahead. Um, so what I was going to say, another big turning point in college was when uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition came out. So D and D started back in the seventies, and there's been multiple updated versions of is it, it like a board um, game like do you buy it as a board game you, or is it like a, um how could, is there an edition of it <laughs> how is the, there i've edition? always been yeah. curious about this because like the players are writing mm-hmm. so how 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 is it how is there an edition so these days you get a, a hardcover book that has okay. all the rules a in it book. and they publish additional books that have storylines and adventures and cool. different monsters and different spells you can do different classes you can um you know ways you can upgrade your character okay um so they're they're publishing Structure. stuff yeah there's publishing stuff constantly and every few years when 
you know, the sales are going down, they come up with a new edition where they update the rules and they streamline okay. them. Um, and so there was the original Dungeons and Dragons. There was Dungeons and Dragons second edition, which was popular in the eighties and the early nineties. Uh, they came out with third edition and then fourth edition. We don't talk about that one. <laughs> Everyone hates it. Uh, some people like it, but most of us hate it. Um, I learned playing third edition and then, um, it was 2014. I was in college. I had taught my college friends how to play because that dungeon master, he graduated. He was a senior when I was a freshman. He graduated. And so I had to take over. Of course. Like, I had to take Naturally. over. That's what one does. And I was so ready for it. Yeah. Um, and I had started a comedy improv troupe at wow. BYU Hawaii because it didn't exist there. And I wanted to take my improv skills and teach it uh, to my friends. And it was fun. And we loved it. And I taught my improv friends how to play D&D. &D. Wow. And it was around that time. That sounds fun. It was. Oh, that it was sounds like a silly, silly time. It was so good. And That that's sounds when, like a high energy time. And that's when 5th edition came out. And okay. it did a lot to streamline a lot of the rules. So there was less emphasis on the math and the mechanics of the game. So you could focus more of your time and energy on the storytelling. Cool. Which is what I love. Okay, cool. And when D&D &D did that, the game became accessible for so many more people. And it is the best-selling edition of D&D that there's ever been. Wow. Um, and so that happens. That edition comes out when I'm running these improv workshops and I teach my improv friends how to play and they were so bad at understanding the rules and the mechanics yeah. and the limitations of the game, which was frustrating at first. I'm like, no, you, did anyone read their homework? <laughs> did you Am do I the your only reading one? assignments? Um, but, but they were into the performance. They were so I knew that's where you it. were going with that. So good at it. And we were laughing. We were getting sad and choked up at times. Wow. And it was absolutely beautiful. Oh my gosh, and, I love it so much. And we're all so much. we're all three thousand miles away from home, right? Yeah. Um, and so we became this small little family, and it completely changed how I approached the game. It was less of a game, more you of know, this shared storytelling experience. That almost feels like a parallel to like the Brandon Sanderson story. Like, here's fantasy. Here's fantasy plus heist. And then like, here's D and D and here's D and D plus my improv yeah. friends. Like here's D and D plus feelings. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I, I love, I still keep in touch uh, with those players and absolutely love it. And they're the ones who kind of encouraged me later on after we graduated. Hey, if you're thinking about the pro D and D thing, you should do it. Wait, Sorry. Pro D&D was a thing back then, too. Um, so professional dungeon masters. I mean, lots of people like you want to play and don't know how don't to know get how. started. You don't have whoops. You don't have that uncle or that friend or I that really person close to you. You know, actually, I did have an uncle who played D&D and he was really, really shamed. By the entire oh, family. That is Which is, I think, the biggest reason why I never played. Yeah, that's you know? unfortunate. I know. You know what, though? He's going to love this episode. <laughs> he is. It'll be like maybe a little bonding for me and him. Shout out to Emily's yeah. uncle. That's this Evan. This is for you. That's Evan. Uncle Evan. This is for you, Evan. Evan. Um, but yeah, where were we? Where were we? I'm really sorry. 
Improv. Ceilings. Improv. Yes. Oh, feelings. Dungeon Masters. Professional. Professional. Please tell yeah. me. People want to learn. Um, they don't know how. There is always more people wanting to play than there are people willing to run the games because it is a huge investment of time and energy and work. Not everyone has a theater background. Not everyone can perform all these voices. And it's a lot of pressure to put on a single person. Some people thrive in it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you have all the time in the world. When you're a college kid procrastinating homework, you also have all the time in the world, right? Um, But for a lot of adults, people... A lot of adults don't have that time and energy to invest into running a good adventure up to the standards that they want. Um, so when who was it that said to you like are you think have you considered pro? Like okay. who who would have even known that? I know exactly the name of that person. Uh, her name is Tasha. Um, shortly after I graduated um, with my bachelor's degree and moved to Utah. Um, I attended a local um, science fiction and fantasy a con. Um, con. Yeah, Life, the Universe, and Everything happens every February. They just had their 40th um, year this year. Um, I went to it as a special guest. Um, anyway, I had gone four years ago. It was four years ago. Came up on my Facebook timeline. Cool. And... Four years ago. Four wow. Years ago. That's so, barely. Yeah, just barely. So four years ago, I'm at this convention and I had, I was poor and I didn't, couldn't afford to pay for a ticket, even though it was pretty cheap. Um, but if you are a panelist, you get in for free. Mm-hmm. And so I pitched myself as a panelist, as someone who loves D&D, loves stories, an aspiring author, and just got my degree in psychology. And I was going to use my psychology knowledge and apply it to games. That's creative too, and that's resourceful. And I thought I was going to be so cool. And then, you know, some of the people on these panels were actual like clinical psychologists with PhDs. And so I'm like, oh, great. I don't have imposter syndrome right now. I Um, mean, but you did it. I did it. You went there. I did it. And it was great. And I'm in one of these um, panels. And someone raises their hands. Um, This was Tasha, who became one of my friends. Um, And she introduced herself as a professional game master. And we stopped and we're like, we didn't, sorry, we didn't hear your question. Let's go back to, you're a professional what? what? This is your job. And uh, she had uh, broken in and had a following and was running games professionally and wow. that triggered something in me. So, of course, I had to talk to, to to Tasha and we became friends and we started gaming together. And this started to be in the back of my mind that people are out there. Yeah. People are making a living doing it. Obviously, people are getting paid to make these books and design these games. But professional D&D was kind of a new idea. Um, certain live streams of people playing D&D were starting to become popular as well. Cool. I think the biggest one in the world right now is called Critical Role. It's been around six or seven years, I think seven. Wow. Um, but it was a bunch of, in their words, nerdy ass voice actors sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons. Hell yeah. um, I want to be, I want to do it. I mean, not professionally, but like, listen, I am a voice professional. <laughs> That's the cold, hard truth of yeah. it. 
And I am a, I am a storyteller too. And so I'm just we, excited. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm with excited all these, about your story. <laughs> it's such a cool story. It is a cool um, story. And you can be part of it. I would really <laughs> like to. Wait, I have two questions. So we're going to come back to Tasha. Okay. Number one question. So when you graduated, you're married. Like, what did you think you were going to do at okay. that point? So I was graduated. I had my bachelor's degree in psychology. My goal was to get into grad school and be a psychologist and, you know, do research. And I I didn't want to be a therapist. I wanted more of the research side of things. And I was looking at different schools and was trying to figure it out. Were you experiencing grief at like not being a writer? Like... Do, does that make sense? Or did you kind of, I have like, another story for that. Okay. If you want to get into I it, I do <laughs> Do we want to get into this now or finish the yeah. other tangent? The I tangent will remember Tasha. And I okay. also have another question, but tell okay. me about this. Um, my junior year of college, this was before I met Bethany. This was before I got married. This was when I was neck deep in my major, taking the hardest classes of my college career. Um, I had to create my senior research project and I was studying um, different styles of forgiveness among different cultural groups. Wow. Super cool. I was mixing my psychology and my peace building background. I need and a I was... book list for that. <laughs> I do. I'm not <laughs> kidding. So I many need a books. book list for that. Um, anyway, so I was doing research on these different forgiveness styles and um quantitative research as well. This wasn't me interviewing people. This was me getting lots and lots of surveys out to people and analyzing the data. And, um, and that was my senior, well, I was a junior at the time, but it was my senior research project and it was really good. Um, and, um, I submitted it to a conference for the American Psychological Association and I was um, selected to you know, share my poster with my findings at this convention in New York. Cool. Um, and so me and some of the other, you know, super nerds in the psychology department, plus our professors, we got to spend a week in New York, which was a dream of mine. Cool. Right. Um, because deep down, I'm this shy kid who turned into a theater kid with an extrovert skill set. And so, it, of man. course, I wanted to go to New York. An extrovert skill set. I love that. mm -hmm. I'm never forgetting it. This is a perfect explanation of everything that I am. (laughs) An introvert with an extrovert skill set. Yeah, yeah. I relate. I relate deeply. So you went to New York and... (laughs) I I went to New York and, you know, there's this convention going on for psychology. Wasn't super interested in it, right? I wanted to see the city. I wanted to go see shows on Broadway. Um, And so we got tickets to see Finding Neverland. Yeah, what a beautiful and, show. And um, it, it, it was absolutely incredible. Um, and the story of Finding Neverland. Um, oh, and when I saw it, the J.M. Barry was played by, I want to say he was on Glee. His name's James Morrison. Is that the right I guy? I don't know. I'm sorry. We'll edit it in post. We <laughs> Just will kidding. not. We won't. We'll put it in the liner notes. We will that. do that. We might do that. Some Someone on the internet knows who I'm talking about, but he was playing uh, the lead and Kelsey Grammer, Frazier, wow. was one guy. of the characters. Yeah. Never forget that guy. Um, so I'm in the theater on, this is my first Broadway show. And that story is about a writer who is not satisfied with his life 
and he wants to write these stories for kids. He wants to be creative and create something beautiful and artistic whimsical. and whimsical. Yeah. He wants to write Peter Pan. Whimsy is like such an underrated thing. I've also been like, I've been, I'm not going to forget where we are, but I just have to say, I've been on such a thing lately about whimsy and also earnestness. Yeah, I feel like our culture does not allow these things in adults. And I am, I am not here for that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I agree. That's a special story about whimsy and yeah. earnestness and having that be something adults can participate in. And, and I watched this musical and it just hits me so hard that I wasn't, yeah, psychology is cool, but I didn't want to be a researcher for the you rest had of grief. my life. Yeah, I had that yeah. grief you talked about. I confronted it and I'm here I am in New York. This is the perfect chance for me to network with different schools and um, I visited Columbia's campus. That was like my dream school was going to Columbia. And after I, I saw this play, I'm like, I still want to be a writer. I still want to write fantasy. And that's kind of when I started checking out of those ambitions of going to grad school and getting a wow. PhD and getting back into writing. And so... Um, Gosh, you just have to listen to those things. Yeah. I wish that our, like, you know, normie family members could just listen when we're saying, mm -hmm. like, I have grief. Like, <laughs> I am experiencing loss. Like, you know, I'm, it's not to say that everyone needs to understand that. I, I do think our world would be a better place if everyone had a, a relationship with their own creativity. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's in, like, my my morality <laughs> like i think my morality yeah. has like creativity and curiosity as like um, highly structural pillars mm -hmm. but for those of us there's a difference between like you know everybody should exercise their creative muscles and for for those of us who really feel like we need to kind of i don't know dedicate more time to it it's just a i don't know like how do you put that into words like how important that is the the extent to which like your soul will experience something very negative mm -hmm. if you don't try i don't know that's a kind of a rhetorical question i think <laughs> yeah um do, is there more to this story or are you gonna um, are you about to jump back to tasha it's, I'll, I'll continue it okay. i'll continue it because we talked about you know, what happened when I first moved to Utah? Yeah. You asked me what my plans, what my ambitions were. By the time I moved to Utah, I already knew I wanted to be a writer. And okay. grad school was, um, that was what I was telling everybody else. Sure, it's sure, like, sure. hey, I'll give it a year. I'll take the GRE. I'll get ready for grad school. Um, so yeah, my, yeah. as a newlywed, we moved um, back to uh, Utah to be closer to family, blah, blah, blah. And I also knew there was a huge network of science fiction and fantasy authors yeah. here in Utah. Uh, Brandon Sanderson being one of them and Dan I Wells. I did reach and, out to him. To, I, like, I just had to shoot the shot, but yeah, he didn't respond. He's so busy. He's so busy. Um, but he is here in Utah. Yeah, he is. Um, and this is a Utah art podcast. It is. Someday. I'll try again in like a year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Next year is the year of Sanderson. Um, yeah. If you've seen the Kickstarter. Anyway, so I, I can't moved, hurt to try. Can't hurt to Go try. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I moved out here wanting to network with the authors and writers here. I was going to pretend to get ready for grad school. Uh, my wife got a, you know, she got a really good corporate job. I got a part-time uh, teaching assistant job. 
And, but my goal was I'm going to break in as an author. I'm going to find a writing group. I'm going to learn all these things. And some of the first people I met were, and I saw they've been on the podcast before, Johnny Worthen and Jared Kwan. I love both. Jared, what an incredible man. Right? I like him so much. (laughs) He's awesome. Cool. We hung out like two weeks ago at that conference I was telling you about. That's great. Um, But yeah, they were some of the first people I met and there's um, a lot of others, um, but they're just the ones that I saw were on the yeah. podcast. And um, so I started learning everything I could from them. Um, just working on a novel. And um, it's I was about a year into that process when I attended this convention as a, an aspiring author who had I already... I that you just got yourself into there. You were like, I'm going to be on the panel. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I'm on these panels. I think I did like four or five and someone says, oh, I'm a professional game master. Um, for those of you, um, listeners who don't know the difference between a game master and a dungeon master, dungeon master is a specific term for someone who plays dungeons and dragons. Okay. Um, but if you play other games that are similar, um, Stuff like that. If you play games like Pathfinder or any other tabletop role-playing games, okay, okay. the word Dungeon Master technically is owned by D&D, but... TM. So Game Master is a more generic okay. version of that. But cool. they're usually you can use them interchangeably. Cool, cool, cool. Um, anyways, for those of you who didn't know, now you know. Okay, so before, um, you, before you tell me, like, well... I don't know. Let me ask the question and then you can tell me if you think it's okay. better spoken about later. I'm like pulling. I, I got myself this furry pillow because I'm fidgety. And I like I just like I just pet this pillow while I'm in interviews. Um, and I just pulled a bunch of fur out of this furry pillow. You're the guest. <laughs> I just have this pink blanket. There's a furry rug. That's far. That's far. <laughs> OK, here's my question. I talk a lot with my guests about like art um, you know, is it essential? It, how should we value it? Um, sh- I think, you know, we both maybe kind of know that our culture tends to think that art should be valued emotionally and not monetarily. Um, I am curious about your thoughts of like something that's so niche. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Like I'm here for it. So hopefully that's clear by now. But like, how do you think about, talk about, wrestle with the idea that this is a thing that anyone gets paid for? Well, it blew my mind when I first heard that it existed because I thought it was too niche, especially here in Utah. It's pretty niche. I figured it'd be you know, in wealthier areas, maybe on the coast, maybe you could make a living. And I'd did, I did my research after I met Tasha and I had um, seen articles of other people in New York and in San Francisco who were making a living and thriving at this. And it was just in the back of my head. I thought it was so cool. I started gaming with Tasha. Um, we became friends, but, um, I didn't think it was going to be my career at that time. Um, why? Well, it seemed like per- it has to have seemed perfect. Yeah, I just didn't think there was a big enough like market room, room for, it for you in it at the time. 
Yeah, yeah. This story is going to have a plot twist that's okay. going to completely change that. Okay, I'll just stop and listen. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Your oh. questions are good. Your okay. questions are good. They're okay. actually leading exactly where Perfect. we want to go because we're so in sync right now. <laughs> we are. Um, so in sync right now. Um, what do I want to Pur- talk about Purpose, purpose. niche, p- getting paid for the thing. Yeah. So I'd been thinking about it, but I knew because I was working as a teacher uh, part time and that. I wasn't really thriving there. Um, yeah, I liked the kids. Uh, some of the other teachers I didn't get along with and the administration and there, it was a charter school with a bunch of problems and has since closed down. Anyways. Um, yeah, neither yeah, here nor there. Neither here nor there. Loved the kids, taught some of the kids how to play D&D and how to write. And, cool. Um, that, so that was a cool experience. Um, but I knew um, I wanted to, I wanted to have a family. And my wife was our primary breadwinner at the time. She still is, but um, she was the primary breadwinner. And I so badly wanted to finish my book and get it published. And so we made a deal. We were ready to have kids, but we decided let's wait one year and I'm going to try to make this book happen. And so we budgeted all our finances. We're both very organized people. So we worked together on this. We were both... In cahoots on this conspiracy. I love it. But I was going to quit working for an entire year and try to make this happen and treat it like my full-time job while she was working and we were going to, you know, uh, tighten the budget a little Mm -hmm. bit. At the time, she was also uh, working at Western Governors University, which is an online university based out of Salt Lake. So we could get degrees for a fraction of the cost because she worked there. So during that year, I also signed up for an online uh, master's of business administration program, which was awesome. I figured, Hey, cheap degree. I'm going to do it. Didn't expect it to be it to be as hard and as difficult as it was, but you know, I flew through it in about nine months. Did you have like a sneaking suspicion that it like an LLC was in your future? No, I, well, yes, because something like that. Authors are also small business owners. And so I figured this is going to small business owners. I figured this was going to help me as a future creative, a freelancer, author, whatever. I figured it would help. And my wife, it was going to help her in her career. So I I took a year off to work on my MBA. We took out a little extra money in student loans to make up for my lost income. And, um, I got a lot done. I learned so much. I networked with so many great people. But at the end of the year, I still wasn't really any closer to getting my my work published because it it takes time. And um, I I just wasn't there yet. And we had a baby on the way. And so I finally threw in the towel. I'm like, okay, it's time to get a real job. I got a real job. It was not a great job. Um, I got a better job at another place and that was a good job. And it gave me the flexibility to, you know, work a few nights a week. So I would have a few mornings open so I could still work on the book. And, um, we had a baby and it was awesome. One of the best days of my life. Loved it. Loved that little kid. And, um, so our baby was born in 2019 Mm. And in January of 2020, oh my gosh, <laughs> January of 2020, I figured it's finally time. It's time. You know, this, this pro, 
dungeon master thing. I don't know what it is about now, but I really want <laughs> to do it. I have my master's degree. I've been writing for so long. And my old writing group says that I just started the business as an excuse to procrastinate editing my novel. And they're not wrong. <laughs> they're yeah. not wrong. This has been a huge distraction for two years, a very profitable one. But um, anyways, yeah. 2020 comes along and... Um, I decide to make a website just to see. Is there I a could, demand? Yeah. Is there a demand? Could I make this into a little side hustle? Could I make enough money to buy all the books yeah. that I want? Um, Wait, did the plot twist already happen? Are you? Oh, the plot twist comes in March 2020. Okay, yeah. okay, but okay, you know, okay, spoiler okay. alert: there was a pandemic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know about everything. It. I mean, just okay. Listen, just small anecdote. Yeah. I was working on this album Masks for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it was really personal. A, a lot of it was about my mother who's narcissistic and she had, she had died, you know, right as I was writing the record. And it was, so it was really like, it was very personal. It was like big. And then picture me like planning May 8th as like the release date of this thing that I've spent half a decade on and that is like extremely personal. Mm-hmm. And then like, I was also taking all these digital marketing classes so that I could like promote my record yeah. that I cared so much about. And then I built like 15 Facebook ads and then they all got flagged because the word masks when oh, was in no. them <laughs> and I had to change them all and just be like uh, the record anyway. So <laughs> I remember this time, like, yeah. Uh, coinciding with my own like artistic endeavors in a frustrating way. So I'm excited to hear it. Maybe not, maybe being different for you. It, it, Oh man, the timing could not have been more perfect because I was hesitant before because I didn't think there was a big demand. I mean, D and D at the time in 2019 was more popular than it had ever been before. Ever since that release of fifth edition Mm -hmm. back in 2014, it had just been growing in popularity at a steady rate. Stranger Things helped. Yeah. Stranger Things, Critical Role, like it was becoming more of this mainstream idea and people were interested in it. And that was before the pandemic hit. Okay. And then it just exploded even more. Because people had time. People were stuck at home. People were bored. So I, 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 for years, I'd been thinking about it. I remembered, you know, the conversations I had with Tasha. I'd been, I'd been learning all of these things and got this business degree. And what? I figured if, if anyone can pull this off, why not it's me? you man why not me yeah. i've been training my whole life for this so you have so you have. i so i look at my wife and i say hey i i want to start uh this business and she's like no you don't we just had a baby and i'm like okay how about how about this is just something that i do on nights maybe on weekends and we'll see if it takes off this will be an experiment she's like okay that's reasonable. We're both very organized people. We made goals. We made plans. Um, and so January 2020, I made a website, mostly because I found a coupon code for it. And I got a discount on cool. making that website. February 2020, I got an official business license. I made the LLC, opened up the bank account, all of wow. those technical businessy things. And then early March, I started running games for free for friends and family and I say family none of my family members wanted to play I offered but friends and chosen uh, family friends and chosen family um and even some strangers online I started just 
practicing, right? Um, because playing D&D online is, uh, it's been around longer than the pandemic. Um, when my core group of friends from Hawaii, we all graduated and we moved all over the country, we found these online tools and we had been using these online tools for years cool. to keep in touch and play the game. Um, so I was already familiar with those tools. And so I was experimenting with it. And in March, I was getting a little disheartened that I wasn't finding clients and my ads weren't working out. And then it happened. The big <laughs> plot twist of 2020 that no one saw coming. The plot twist is the pandemic. Yeah. And <laughs> you tell me there's a plot twist and it's just the fact that there's a the pandemic. pandemic. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, after the plot twist, it seems obvious. Like, oh, we should have seen it coming. Anyways. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. If I had started my business six months earlier, I probably would have got burnt out with yeah. the lack of clients and given it up. If I had started six months later, I would have been behind the curve. Yeah, well. I was exactly in the right place at the right time, but also with the right skill set. Yeah. yeah. With the Jinx. right skill set. We, we, we know, <laughs> we, know. we know, we um, know. Wow. Right place at the right time with the right skill set and the demand was there wow. immediately because people were stuck at home and they were lonely and they wanted a way to connect with other people. And they'd heard mm. about D&D or they had a group that broke up years ago and they're just finding out about, out about these online tools. And so it was this huge thing during the pandemic, yeah. not just from my end, but D&D as a whole yeah. just exploded wow. in popularity. And I was right there, had this website um, that got really popular. So I started running one game a week. Um, the very first paid game I ran was the beginning of <clears throat> April 2020. Cool. And I made $100. Cool. I was so excited. It's money, man. Still wasn't enough it's to a pay little, for little proof of concept. any of my expenses at that point, yeah. right? Um, I actually... <laughs> I used in February when I had to get the LLC and all that stuff. I used my Costco rewards for that. I had like $200 <laughs> in Costco rewards. Cool. That's how I started my business. Anyways, I made $100 on that first game, but I was still working full time. I would work from 8.30 to 5. I would eat dinner. And then at 6 o'clock, I would start a game Okay. Um, every Wednesday. Cool. And after about a month of that, I started a second game. Wow. And then a third game. Oh my gosh. And when I was running three games a week and people were reaching out to me to run birthday parties and bachelor parties on weekends and stuff, um, I realized I didn't have enough capacity to do that and work full time. So that's when I went back to my wife and I'm like, hey, Bethany, I love you. Remember those goals that we made? Remember those plans that we had? I'm hitting these metrics that we set up. Look at all this money that's coming in. I've been saving up my PTO at work. How about I use my PTO to take two weeks off and, you know, dedicate myself to this full time for those two weeks to see what I can get going. Wow. So I did that and set up a fourth game, regular game for the week. And, um, so your clients, it works like a subscription or something like they, 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 it's a, they're committing to a regular game. There, uh, there are two ways that I was doing it. It's, it's expanded since then, but okay. there were these regular weekly games that people could sign up for, um, okay. where they'd make a character, and that character would develop and grow over time. 
as the story progresses and we would tell these large epic sagas, lots of growth and failure. And that's what I love doing. And then I would do these one shot adventures, which are self-contained stories that you can do in a single evening okay, okay, um, for like a birthday party or a corporate event. Cool. Um, Cool. So I was, so I was doing both. Right. And after about three months of running games, I had, there was so much demand and I was so busy. I had to quit my day job to keep up. And so I did Hell it. Hell yeah. That's amazing. I did it. Um, so I started, so the pandemic happened in March. Uh, my last day of work was sometime in June, early oh, June. Man. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so anything, okay. I have like two kind of main topics that I'd like to sort of end on. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to just, it, does this story need to finish? How, how much time do we have? I mean, it's kind of up to you. It's kind of up to you. Okay. I mean, I'm not, we have 20 minutes. <laughs> we have 20 minutes. Oh my, the D and D part just began. <laughs> um, the D, yeah. Well, I told okay. you there was so much story. Let me tell you. I mean, everyone, all the episodes are like this. It's like yeah. people just have, you know, we have things to say. We can have a part two at some point if you want. Okay. But the, but the, but the last things that I kind of want to talk about. Um, and then if you feel like you're like, I, I just have to like tell the rest of this story. Okay. Um, but I mean, on the other hand, like, really what I'm interested in is like the creative development. Yeah. Like, so th- I mean, I got what I wanted here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you but, wanted uh, to delve deep into my childhood I did, and I see did. these seeds. And now you can see those seeds that started in childhood. That's are starting, the point. They're starting to grow. They're blossoming now. Yeah. Cause you know, plenty of people will be interested in what you're doing now. And it's, of mm-hmm. course, it's not that I'm not interested in that, but you know, pe- people need to know how, how people get to yeah. these places. So, okay. Here are the things that I want to talk about. One is, um, so I want to talk about this thing that you were saying before of like, uh, how did you put it? But like when we were saying like, do you shepherd alternative children or like shepherd alternative adults? Okay. So I want to hear you talk about that. But first, like, let's maybe end on that. Cause that feels like that's okay. going to be really wholesome. Um, so the other thing I'm wondering about is, do you ever experience any like guilt or pushback or any sort of icky weirdness about the fact that your job is like a thing that's fun. Like, do you wrestle with any yeah. of those kinds of things? Okay. Um, to some people, this is an absolute dream job. But when you're when you're running a game once a week for friends and work it's something to do to relax, it's it's different yeah. than when you are running three, four, five six games a week. Uh, there was a, a year ago I was running six games a week. I wow. was only taking Sundays off and it was absolutely exhausting. And I didn't have a whole lot of time to prep in between sessions. Yeah. I'd finish a game. I'd have 24 <clears throat> hours between that game and the next game. And that's when I had to do my prep and it was really exhausting, but I couldn't complain to people yeah. <laughs> about my job because I'm living it, this dream. Yeah. I really get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you feel like you get kind of like pushback or like jealousy or like, or do you ever feel a little kind of like guilty about it? Years ago, before the pandemic, when I was thinking about breaking into this, I did a lot of research and there were a lot of conversations going on online about, is it 
ethical to charge people to play Dungeons and Dragons? Or is in its pure form, is it just friends around the kitchen table? And a lot of people were fighting back and forth on mm. if it's ethical. And that conversation has changed a lot in Good. recent years to, no, you should be able to pay people for their time. We should be paying artists. We should yeah. um, you know, compensate people for all the effort they put into it. And there's some people who are like, well, I, I do it because it's fun and I love it and no one else should charge. But there are so many people out there that want to have these experiences. They want to go on these epic journeys with these characters and they don't have the time, the energy or the resources to get started, to take on yeah. that mantle themselves. And that's why professional dungeon masters are in demand right now. It's like just a simple, it's just simple math. Like there's a demand. It requires a specialized skill set. Mm -hmm. You worked freaking hard for that skill set. Yeah. You started working on that skill set when you were a child. In order to really do it well, this skill set requires a ridiculous investment of time that you cannot also do if you have a full-time job. And if you don't have a full-time job, you can't do anything because you're homeless. Yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> and babies are expensive. <laughs> yeah. I know, but I know, I yeah. get this. Like, you know, I feel like there's like a weird penalty for like having mm -hmm. a job that, you know, you love. And I always want to tell people too, like, it's not like there aren't parts of creative jobs that are like heart wrenching yeah. and exhausting and really shitty. Like depending on what you do, you know, mm -hmm. like there definitely are parts of my job that like, I, like I make, um, a little bit more than half of my income, depending on the year performing at weddings, yeah. um, which is not creative per se, but it's in music. It's not like high art, but it's, it's art. And like people will all the time be like, well, that's lucky. Like that must be really fun. And I just feel like you have no idea. It is like, it is such ridiculously exhausting work. Um, and there are so many things about it that are so gross and bad, like yeah. just the number of drinks I've had spilled on me, the number of like, you know, weird armpits my face has been in, you know, like, it's just like, <laughs> you have a list of the weirdest <laughs> armpits ranked <laughs> by weirdness, <laughs> ranked by weird smells, um, <laughs> ranked by like how tall the weird man was that put my face in his armpit. Anyway, it, it happens, you know, nobody <laughs> means it on purpose. They're just drunk. But, you know, my point is there are things about that, that work that are like dehumanizing mm -hmm. and like just awful. Um, but like, you know, would I rather be at a desk job? No. But would the person who's at a desk job rather have their face in someone's armpit? Probably also no. You know, like yeah. we, we follow the paths that we're in and we both should get paid because having a band at your wedding is also something people want. Yeah. Um, my job, I, I'm lucky. I, I do it all from home. It's all remote. I don't run games in person. Um, and so, but I've gotten super drunk parties, right? And yeah. I remember there was this time we took a 15 minute break and someone didn't turn their headset off and we heard them go to the bathroom. Great. The whole stream. Really exciting. Um, <laughs> like, you know, and they're some groups. Did you give a lecture to the rest of the group on forgiveness and the different uh, methods just, and styles of forgiveness? No, we just awkwardly listened to I'm this just, guy piss I'm in just the other joking. room. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm glad on that your... was a one shot. I'm glad that was a one shot. But, and you know, uh, people get really emotional in these games and sometimes I'm doing a corporate game and the boss is really into it, but all the underlings are not. They're there because they have to be there. Mm. So it's exhausting, but I there hasn't been like a space to 
complain about it other than to my wife. Like, mm. oh, it was so hard. I Six games is a <laughs> lot. But after a year of being on my own, running this business, I there was so much demand. I was turning people away. I was booking myself out, you know, months in advance. And so I expanded the team. Cool. I now have I now have four other dungeon masters who work for me under my brand. I mentor them, I help them out. And oh my I gosh, I love it so much. Yeah, I, it's, I love it so much. And they are so good. Remember at the beginning when I was like, who makes it as a magician? Like, who makes it as a dungeon master? Like, <laughs> and now I'm helping four other people. You're make the it unicorn. As a that's really um, that's so exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. And so everyone on my team has been on different journeys and they have different skill sets. And one person on my team is a professional stage actor and theater professor. Another person is a freelance writer who's done a lot of stuff in the tabletop. RPG space. Another one mm. is an education specialist who designs curriculum and has her master's in education. We've got a professional voice actor on our team. And so they are good at things that I'm not good at. Gosh, I love it. That's and so incredible. So yeah, I'm mentoring them and we have one-on-ones, but I'm You're learning just as much yeah. from them as they are from me. And I am getting better. And they are having some of these difficult games that they have to run and they come to me like, oh, that was a really and you're hard like, game. Let's talk about conflict management. Yes. You pull out your, your textbook and you're like, all right, class, yeah. chapter four. And we can just relate. And I put I, glasses on in the, <laughs> I mimed glasses. We call our meetings our Dungeon Master Support Group. I love and it. We just talk about some of the problems we had. Or, or, and we that, talk a lot about the good things that happened. That thing as well. I did in Kansas City last weekend was a wedding band leader support group. Yeah. Awesome. So, awesome. But yeah. Cause, yeah. Because armpits. It's been so much more gratifying to do this now that I have a team and you're yeah. speaking the same language and we're collaborating on more projects. I told you that at the beginning I was just doing these regular campaigns and one shots. We're doing a lot more. Amazing. That now we're teaching classes. We're consulting with video game companies. We are, um, we had a group of therapists reach out to us that want wow. us to find like applications for D and D teaching kids. And we have all sorts of wow. cool things that we're doing. And I just get to like help my team be awesome at it. I love it. What warm fuzzies, incredible. This is one of those, like is life a simulation kinds of moments mm-hmm. where it's like, this is too perfect. Um, okay. Let's talk about the childlike nature of adults. Okay. I think we're ready. Rain your wisdom down. This. Um, people have emotional needs and that games can fulfill, right? Some people are in it for the sense of escapism, the fantasy. Some people want the puzzles to solve. Some people want this feeling of dominance and competition. Mm-hmm. Some people want creative expression. Uh, I've got a list of like nine, I think, um, of emotional needs that we try to hit in these games. And I kind of know what my strengths are and everyone on their team knows kind of what their strengths are. But every time we're playing with a group and we're communicating with them in character and out of character, we're trying to figure out what they're looking for in that game. And especially with the last two years, people are at home, wow. they're lonely, they're isolated, they feel like their lives 
are uncontrollable and things are just happening to them. Mm -hmm. And so we are giving people a space where they get to have agency and be the heroes and affect the world around them and to kick ass, like to defeat monsters and slay dragons and stand up to vampires and demigods. And we create the space where people get to be awesome. Wow. And even these adults that we play with, even these CEOs and lawyers and doctors that are clients of ours, um, they get to be kids again. It's um, so valuable. I was talking about this with my wedding band support group. <laughs> we were I, seriously just having this conversation on Saturday of like these things that we allow children to participate in are like essential human needs that we, mm-hmm. that we need. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, people our age in our kind of age group, this kind of like a millennial age group might be like the first, the first age group that like, um, I don't know, like understands this principle and has the tools to do something with it, but it's still so difficult to rewrite these expectations of what it means to be an adult and what it means to be like a productive member of society yeah. or, or whatever. And, I don't know. Like, I think it's part of why I'm obsessed with creativity. Cause like we have just got to do better. We've mm-hmm. just got to do better. We have to keep, we have to keep evolving as adults. We can't just like turn, you know, 25 and call it quits on our own evolution. And we have got to like take better care of our emotional selves. Yeah. And it, I mean, it sounds like, like, you know, I feel like I'm doing that in the, the way that I can, which is, I teach a lot of adults, which feels mm-hmm. important to me. And when I write, like I write, I write albums that have morals. So, I mean, I know that's not kind of what we like expect from our music, but like, mm-hmm. it's the only thing I know how to do. So, yeah. um, but anyway, I'm thinking about this stuff too. And I just, I don't know, it feels really important. And so many people play D and D. And they're in it for themselves, right? And they, they love it. It's a it's a relief. And some people get really into creating their own worlds and sharing that with people. Um, but I think what really divides the people who are just creative for their own sake and people who can make it commercially and make it into a business, it's not about the value you get out of it, but the value you can provide okay. to other people, right? Um, people don't sign up and pay me stupid amounts of money. Um, I still can't believe how much I charge people, but Hey, um, I get it. There's probably like a little bit yeah. of, yeah, it's like that, a huge, ethics, yeah. that ethics, ethics stuff gets jubbly. Yeah. There was a huge demand. So I raised prices and demand went up because now it's a luxury good. Um, wow. anyways, it's, it's wild. Um, but, but people don't pay you for the game they pay you for. Well, well they don't pay me. Because they think I'm brilliant. They don't sure. pay me because I enjoy D&D. Right? They pay me because I put them front and center. Because I make them feel awesome. Yeah. Because I focus on their emotional needs. I am not putting on a one-man show when I'm running a game of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wear a lot of hats and I do a lot of funny That's voices. Fun. Yeah. I get That's to be awesome villains. Yeah. Um, I, am, I am the best supporting actor but I am not the lead. I get to let other people be the lead to be the heroes. And, um, and that's how people get emotionally invested. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Okay. (laughs) 
Does that feel like an ending? Uh, it feels like an ending. Okay. I don't know. Do you have like a cool I, outro that we I need do. to say? I ask okay. everybody two kind of final questions just it. as a nice bookend because endings are awkward. Um, the first is, what's your dream collaboration? Dream collaboration? Or you could say a dream project, but collaboration is more... I, I, as soon as you said that, I knew exactly what it is. And it's something that I'm trying to make happen this year. And I know the person I need to email and I don't want to and spoil it. And it's Brandon Sanderson, it everybody. Shh. <laughs> oh my gosh, is it? Shh. <laughs> cool. Shh. Nothing happened. It's nothing, nothing happened. happened. I, there are plans in motion. I know the ears I need to whisper into, but shh. Don't cold email him. It doesn't work. Oh, I won't. I'm just I, kidding. I know I'm just, someone else. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> nothing happened. He doesn't have a dream collaboration. <laughs> anyway. Okay. And then oh, finally. Oh, I will say another oh. dream collaboration. I thought of another one. Okay. Um, two years from now, 2024 <laughs> is the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons. Cool. Um, and every year they there's like a big celebration where they bring a bunch of professional streamers and celebrities together to celebrate it. And they're probably going to do something pretty big uh, for their 50th anniversary. I would love to be invited in to participate with that. Awesome. I love that. It's a perfect answer. That's two years down the road. Cool. And then finally, plug all your things. Tell people where to find you. Plug all my things. My business is called Dungeon Master Direct. Um, DungeonMasterDirect.com. Even if you just search Professional Dungeon Master on Google, I should be on the first page. Um, And so we run, um, we run private events, we do campaigns, we do corporate events, we also teach our techniques. I go into my background in psychology and in peace building. And is that what the Tuesday class is? The The Tuesday class is the conflict-driven characters class. It's going oh, to be for three weeks. Amazing. Um, I'm doing another one on motivational game psychology. Cool. Um, and the rest of my team, they all do awesome things based on their backgrounds. We've got 10 different courses wow. that we're going to be cycling through. And we just launched it like this month, so I'm so excited. I love it so much. It's like a dream. How wonderful. It is. I still have to pinch myself. It yeah. doesn't feel real. It doesn't even feel real to me. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I'm feeling that and like I'm not even in it. Yeah. Um, any, anything else? Um, and, you know, we're open to other collaborations. We've got more things on the pipeline that I can't Great. talk about because of non-disclosure agreements. But uh, someday you'll, you'll see more from us. I won't try us. to like take a stab <laughs> in the dark that might just be right. Hey. Whoops. <laughs> um, okay. Daxon. Do you go by Dax or Daxon? Um, what do you prefer? Either one. I introduce myself as Dax because if I introduce myself as Daxon. People call you Jackson. Jackson, Daxon, Paxton, Braxton. So Dax is easier. Well, you may I can read. Like. So can Daxon read. is fine for me. Daxon but, is uh, fine. Daxon, this was so lovely. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. I'm surprised we haven't been friends longer. I I feel this way so often when I do this podcast. Yeah. And thank you. And likewise. And thanks. Yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.